Welcome to the HJ Talks About Abuse podcast, the podcast where we talk about sexual abuse cases in the hope that it will assist listeners in openly discussing topics which have been ignored for too long. This podcast is brought to you by the abuse team at Hugh James. We are lawyers, so we tend to speak about the legal aspects of abuse cases, but we aren't too shy to speak up about the broader issues faced by survivors of sexual abuse too. We hope that you find it interesting, but more than that, if you are a survivor of sexual abuse, we hope that you find our discussion empowering. Hello, podcast listeners. My name is Alan Collins. I'm the partner who heads up the abuse team of Hugh James. And I'm joined by my colleagues, Felina Grovner and Danielle Vincent. Hi, Felina. Hi, Danielle. Hi, Hi, Alan. In this podcast, we are going to be discussing the byline intelligence team research into police officers' sexual misconduct. So, podcast listeners, I need to give you what is known as a trigger warning. We're going to be discussing sensitive issues, which some may find upsetting and disturbing. And there's always the risk that someone may be triggered by what we're discussing. So please take note of that. And by way of background, there have been some infamous cases over recent years involving police officers exploiting their positions as police officers to sexually abuse people within their professional orbit. Quite often, they're um, victims maybe of sexual abuse already. So we're all familiar with these stories that hit the newspapers and the media and social media from time to time. So we all know what we're going to be talking about. But I'm going to hand over to Elena and Danielle to explain to us in a little bit more detail about this research. So I will start by saying, so the Byline Intelligence Team research produced a number of statistics that hit the headlines. We were discussing it because there have been a number of cases come forward that's hit the headlines. We all know about them. But as an individual, I think we always trust the police force. You know, that there's structure in place there, that there's positions of trust. And the statistics that came out were really shocking. So I'll give you some of them that in 31 misconduct hearings between 2017 and 2020, 41% of Met Police officers were subject to disciplinary proceedings for sexual misconduct retained their roles following the decision. In 31 misconduct hearings between 2017 and 2020, 52% of Met Police officers were found to have committed sexual misconduct, stayed in their posts, and of Met Police officers accused of sexual offences, 89% of them were male. Then we have specifically of Suffolk and Norfolk Constabulary, 70% of officers found to have committed sexual misconduct stayed in their posts. And in West Yorkshire, much of the sexual misconduct, 44%, was found to have been committed against female colleagues who were also police officers. So they're quite shocking statistics. And that, again, is only cases that have been reported. And this is a small subject area where there could be much more, you know, over the whole country. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's very topical at the moment, because as we're making this podcast, we're all familiar with the terrible case of Sarah Everard, isn't it, who was basically kidnapped and murdered by a police officer, Wayne Cousins. And um, by the time this podcast comes out, he may well have been sentenced for the crimes that he's committed. But, you know, he basically was... You know, a very experienced police officer, as I understand it, a lot of seniority and experience and so on, but was able to take advantage of the COVID situation 
in order to prey on his particular victim and kidnapper and do, you know, commit the crimes that he did and for which he's, you know, going to be sentenced for. The state the obvious, extremely shocking case, but it just demonstrates that that's a police officer who's gone and done that, you know, and it's shock, horror, and we're still rightly, I think, shocked and horrified that a police officer could go and do this sort of thing. So as you say, this research really is quite spurred on from that exact case and particularly comments from the Met Police Commissioner who said, on occasions, I have a burden. I think that has, has quite upset people and, and as I said, has, has really spurred on this research and for people to look at these data and make freedom of information requests on this subject because this term suggests that it's incredibly unusual for police officers to be involved in any form of sexual misconduct, but that isn't the case. And that's what this investigation and research is really trying to shed a light on. Yes. What intrigues me is, is not just the numbers, because one case is one too many, obviously, is the fact that so many officers stay in post. I don't understand that. You'd you'd assume, wouldn't you, if there had been disciplinary proceedings and there's a finding of sexual misconduct, you'd mm. think that the police officer, you know, saying in the most extraordinary circumstances would be shown the door, you know, saying out. It's just the big question mark of who has accountability then. Mm. If they've gone through, obviously, this disciplinary process, and as you say, they've actually been found to have committed sexual misconduct, and as Danielle mentioned earlier, they're in such a high-profile position of power when you think about people who have responsibility of you, who have control over you, you would say a police officer is one of the first professions that would come to your mind. And it's just really disappointing that the managers and senior police officers aren't taking accountability of it. And it, it just breeds the failures, doesn't it? Do you know if there's going to be any further research as to why a police officer who has been found to committed sexual misconduct, being found guilty of sexual misconduct for a disciplinary hearing, is able to keep their job. The Byline Times does refer to a number of um, actual specific cases in their full report. I think the difficulty with that is is every case is, is very different. Yeah. And some of them are very specific as to what type of sexual misconduct occurred. Mm. And I think also the reporting isn't very good. So the data that's out there and how the police departments have actually reported what's happened aren't good enough for widespread research to actually specifically say this needs to change and this needs specifically to be done, unfortunately. You'd think if it's sexual misconduct, if it was serious enough to have a disciplinary, that you know, a certain bar had been reached. You know, I don't want to belittle anything, but, mm. you know, you can understand, you know, maybe two police officers consensually doing something, you know, as colleagues might think, well, maybe, you know, they, they're given a warning and told to behave and so on. You can understand why if something consensual happened between two colleagues, they might be able to keep their jobs. But if there's members of the public involved, you think, no. Well, on the back of that, one of the examples, whilst this doesn't necessarily relate specifically to members of the public, one of the cases of someone who did remain in their post, they, for example, attempted to pay for sex over an app. And so one person may think that is absolutely devastating Mm. and they need to lose their post. 
Whereas someone else, as you've just said, you could say, well, is it directly harming a member of the public? There are different levels to different levels. sexual misconduct, yes. absolutely. So you'd think maybe in that particular example, those investigating may think, well, this is to do with the officer's private life and it's not, it doesn't affect their work or you know, or you know, their competence and their professionalism and so on. I mean, mm-hmm. it's none of our business. So you can see that. So but if there's something that makes them think it does affect their professionalism and it is necessary to have a disciplinary, then you'd think that a certain bar had been reached. Ultimately, it undermines public trust mm. and it undermines that woman, presumably it was a woman, most of them are, but it could yeah. be a man as well. Yeah, it undermines their trust. Mm. In reporting it, whether they're a fellow police officer or a member of the public. Yes, of course, a good point. I suppose you know. Let's say you know, if I follow my line of thinking, you can demonstrate why my line of thinking is flawed. Potentially, a sex worker learning of that case may think, "Hmm, who's something bad's happened to them?" And they were minded to report to the police. They may think, "Well, actually." Perhaps I better not report. Seriously. Yeah, because they think it's okay for a police officer to pay for sex. So yeah, yeah, I can understand the logic of that. So if you, so my thinking, if you follow it through, you can see how it could easily be flawed. And the point that you're making is that yeah, it could undermine public confidence. You know, you've just got to think it through. You know, someone, a sex worker, who in perhaps in many ways might be on the margins and not inclined to report offences committed against her or him, would be sort of disempowered from making that contact with the police if they think, well, actually, if a police officer is allowed to pay for sex, um, what's the point of Yeah, me? if they yeah. can lose their position before, yeah. why would yes, they know? Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. no, I understand. Okay, I think there should be more research on this. I was just about to say that, Alan, that's what it comes down to, and then things can be better dealt with in future that's the only way that you can improve these um, policies and failures that's open disclosure by the police forces because the other thing is it's quite difficult when there's different constabularies to actually compile the data without requesting it all from each constabulary to establish you know if there are patterns and what they are Very interesting. But thank you very much. Thank you, listeners. As always, if you have any thoughts, questions, comments, please do get in touch with us and please do join us with our next podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of HJ Talks About Abuse. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify or your favourite podcast player. If you'd like to speak to us about something you've heard today, We'd love to hear from you. Email us at aboutabuse at hjtalks.co.uk.